open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter six. We have been on the scenic route journey. We also really value the word. We really believe that the word is important. And the best way to find out what God has to say in the word is to go through the word, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Otherwise, uh, just being real with you, I'd just skip and go to the good parts, the ones that I think are the most fun, and then we'd never, there's some things that I would never get to, but if the Lord is right, and I believe he is when he, you know, Jesus said that every jot, every little tittle is all inspired by God, that it, everything in that Old Testament, none of it's gonna pass away, it's all gonna be fulfilled, it's all important, then we should go through all of it. And that's where we find ourselves in Revelation chapter six. Uh, God promised, Jesus himself promised in Revelation one that there's a blessing for those who would read this book, who would understand it, who would hold it, who would think on it. Ironic because it's the one book we all avoid because it kind of scares the crap out of us. And so we sort of just ditch it. But it, it's like, he said, you'll be blessed, Revelation 1, if, if you do this. I think part of the blessing is there's nothing new in Revelation. This is all just the Old Testament woven into here. There's over 400, by some accounts, almost 500 allusions, pictures, that are all just Old Testament, all woven into one. So if you're looking for a place to study the Bible, Revelation's a great place to start because you gotta go through all of the Old Testament for this to make sense to you. And that's where we find ourselves tonight, being blessed tonight, this morning. <laughs> Revelation 6, 1. He says, and I watched the lamb when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. And if you remember, which you may not because it's been a couple weeks, last we left off, the church is in heaven. The verse right before it's there, the chapter right before, every tribe, every tongue, every nation was represented. There's only one group that can say that in front of the throne, and that's the church. I believe, and we, you know, you can go back and listen to some of the recordings of why I believe that this is now the part of Revelation where we're in heaven, and this is what's going on on earth. But it says that I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse, and its rider had a bow. And a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. In verse 3, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. And out came another horse, bright red. Its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that people should slay one another. And he was given a great sword. And when he opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come. And I looked, and behold, a black horse. And its rider had a pair of scales in his hand, and I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius, and do not harm the oil and the wine. When he opened the fourth seal, I, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. And I looked, and behold, a pale horse, and its rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and famine and with pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. And they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? In verse 11, and then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. And when he opened the sixth seal, I looked and behold, 
There was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth and the moon became like blood. and The stars of the sky fell to the earth and the fig, as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale and the sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone slave and free hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Would you pray with me? Father, this uh, is a pretty spooky uh, chapter we just read on the surface. And my prayer today is that We see it for what it is, which is actually quite hopeful, quite promising of what is is happening is to happen. And may it not be an academic exercise for any of us, but that your spirit would speak to us, that your word would be a light and a lamp for us today, just as you promised it would. It's in your name we pray, amen. You know, I, I didn't see this in Matthew 24, but I, I think that uh, I've, one of the signs of the end, it's gotta be close because uh, this, uh, a gang of feral cats attacks a woman and her dog in France. I mean, talk about something's wrong in our world when it's a gang of cats. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I saw this and thought, you've gotta be joking. That's one of those things that like, uh, I didn't even know that was an option. Like a gang of cats? Somebody asked once if, uh, if there are going to be cats in heaven, and if you're a, an animal lover or a PETA person, please cover your ears. Um, if there are going to be cats in heaven, and, and the answer undoubtedly has to be yes, when you think about it, you know, there'll be horses, there'll be whatever, you know. Cats, interestingly enough, cats are mentioned in all kinds of ancient Babylonian and Egyptian culture, but they're the one animal, that, it's a domestic animal, not mentioned in the Bible, but I know they're going to be in heaven because they have to be able to make the harp strings out of something. Sorry. Yeah, they used to, you know, they used to do that, right? I, I'm sorry. I know, I know. I just, cats, um, here's the thing about animals. Pets, pets, here's the question you've got to ask yourself. And if you've never done this before, it's, it's time to start. When you've got an animal in your house, you've got to ask the question, what are you bringing to the table? Okay, what can, can you do something? Can you get things for me? Can you provide security? Can, you know, what do you bring to the table? And cats, and if someone's, if you disagree, man, I'm really sorry, but cats are takers. Do you know what I'm saying? You come home, they're not excited to see you. Do you know what I mean? Someone said mine are. Oh, I mean, cats, now we actually have cats at the, at the Tyler uh, Ponderosa because outside they provide a great service, which is rodent removal. So they bring something to the table there. But other than that, you, know, they come home, like your dog comes, you come home, your dog's like, oh, it's so awesome. I didn't know where anything was. I didn't know how to turn the lights on. Thank God you're home. <laughs> you know. But the cat, you know, so anyway, I don't know if this is a sign of the end or not. I just think that that's really scary if that can happen. And, and one more reason not to go to France. Um, <laughs> this Revelation 6 is uh, quite fascinating <laughs> when you think about it. Um, because... You've heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. You've heard of, uh, you've heard of those probably a lot in your life. You've heard of these judgments and these things that are coming. And, and I, you know, if you've been around me, you know that I like to simplify things as best I can just because I'm a simple guy. And so if it, 
if it makes sense to me, the, the theory goes that it probably makes sense to anybody. And when I look at these, you know, you're about to see these seals being opened, and then you're going to see these trumpets sound, and then there are going to be these bowls happen, and what in the world is, is going on. And so if you're a thinker, think with me for a moment. If you're not, this is a great time for a nap, and I'll wake you up in a minute. But this is at the end of the day, and I'm going to go in reverse. I'm going to bring us back to the seals, because there's the seals, there's the trumpets, and there's the bowls. And so in the bowls, which are coming up in a couple of chapters... The bulls deal with God's rescue of the earth. And I would apologize for my penmanship, but it's just, it is what it is. It is God's rescuing the earth. I'm going to ditch that one. How about that? And he's doing it, when you see these bold judgments, it's literally like he is bathing the earth, rescuing it. Our dog got sprayed by a skunk last week. It's not good, dude. And we bathed her, but we apparently didn't follow the directions, and what we did was actually make it worse, because you spread it out. And so Tula, uh, the Great Pyrenees, uh, uh, kind of has to do the walk of shame every day, but she was bathed in the bowl, but it didn't work, but in God's uh, economy, he is bathing us and it will work and make us clean. So that is the bowls. When those are coming, we're going to get there. We won't spend time on it this morning. The bowls are about bathing the earth, God rescuing the earth. The second one is the trumpets. And when you look to scripture and whenever you see trumpets in the Old Testament, particularly, trumpets are what they used to sign, uh, sign of battle, the sound of battle. The earth at this point continues to be ruled by the earth, uh, ruled by Satan. Sorry, this is, should I read this out loud? Lots of feral cats in College Grove. Be careful. That's a text message right there. I'm going to turn my phone off. <laughs> That's why I'm not sleeping at nights. <laughs> feral cats. Trumpets are about the battle when God, and this is it, and you see these trumpets unfold. This is God's time to come and open up a can of whoop God on the enemy, on Satan. At this point, this earth is ruled by Satan. He is the prince of the power of the air. He is the God of this earth. When he offered Jesus the chance, the shortcut to get the kingdom, Jesus didn't say in those days that, oh, you don't have that right. You can't do that. He, said, he gave him the word, but it's because to this point in time where we are, Satan continues to be. And that is so critical for us to understand. Because when you see these things happening, whether it's, if, you had a, if you've had a tornado happen in your home and you see on the insurance it says active God, that is such baloney. This is the fallen world that we live in. But when he comes, when these trumpets sound and these seven trumpet judgments, this is the battle for earth and God, it's, uh, you look at it, and I, I give you a heads up, it's more like an extermination than it is a battle. Because he is coming after Satan and his minions, and he's going to set it right. And it brings us back to the, the first one, which is where we are, which are the seals. And the seals are not about God rescuing the earth. It's not about even the battle for Satan. It's about an earth that has been ruined by man. When we, when Adam and Eve signed over the earth to Satan in the garden. And we've talked about it. If you want to go back, you can look at it again. It's two or three weeks ago, the teaching. But this scroll is two-sided. 
It's written on both sides. There are seals on it. And you look to the Old Testament. Again, nothing new in Revelation. This is all Old Testament. That speaks of a document for real estate. In Jeremiah, they saw there was a, a purchase and there was sealed with a seal. And, and what happens is when, an, uh, when a property was to be in bankruptcy or taken away, on the back of that seal, what was written was, here's what has to happen to get this land, to get this property back. And these seven seals are that. They are what the natural consequence of the bankruptcy of this earth that has been ruined by man, ruined by our sin, Jeremiah 2, there's a passage that God would say to the Israelites, it's your own wickedness that hunted you down. Don't you know? It's your own backsliding that will judge you. This is not God with a hammer playing a game of whack-a-mole. This is the natural consequence of our sin in the earth. And it exists on a macro level. It exists on the micro level. It exists on the ground level. That when I say to you, the Lord, that I will not have you to rule over me, these are the consequences in our life. And I'm going to show you here in a minute that it doesn't just exist on this level, but even in our own lives. That when we go this way, because Antichrist, when you see the word Antichrist, and actually in chapter, if you go back up to verse 1, it, it refers to this guy, this man who's going to come on a white horse, and it says, and looked and behold, a white horse, verse two. And he had a, its rider had a bow. And there was a crown given to him. And he came out conquering and to conquer. And I look at that and think, who the world is that? Because the white horse, you think, it's the Lone Ranger. Where's Johnny Depp, right? Here we go. It's not Jesus. And here's why I know it's not Jesus. A couple of reasons. One, the crown. The crown there, in the Greek, is a Stephanos, Stephanos. If you put the emphasis on a different syllable, it can sound all kinds of ways. But it's the crown that is like the one made out of olive branches around your head. It's a temporary crown. Jesus is coming. He is coming on a white horse. His crown is the diadem. And you'll see it. It's a totally different word. Gold, jewels, permanent. This is not Jesus. It's not Jesus because he doesn't have a sword in his hand. He has a bow. But what, what does he not have? He doesn't have arrows. And here's why. If you were to go to Daniel, and we don't have time to go to Daniel, but in Daniel chapter 8, you could write it down, go there later, where it talks about this man that will come on the scene someday. You know, we view him almost as like this is a stark, you know, this creepy dude. That's not the way Daniel 8 describes him at all. It's like this great, it's like all of the best qualities of every president we've ever had that we loved combined into one, looks like Brad Pitt, and is a political genius. But it says in, in Daniel 8 that the way that he'll conquer is with peace. He will come and he will conquer with peace. And interesting because you can even begin to see the groundwork of that kind of thing laid out this week, it, it was reported that our government, God bless them, they want now to turn over all of our user account passwords. Now, the fact that we aren't just driving around the Capitol in our uh, cars honking the horns and with bullhorns is kind of fascinating. 
And, and it's because, for the most part, people are saying, I didn't do anything wrong. I got nothing to hide. And what we're being told by government officials here around the world is we have to do this to keep you safe. This is how we keep the peace. So he will conquer by peace. Now, what does that look like in the future? I don't know. But I know that what seemed inconceivable to me at one point in my life feels like, well, that's kind of conceivable. Now the guy that comes in conquers with peace. There are those that believe that what he'll do is settle and solve the, the Middle East crisis which all comes down to Jerusalem. There were those that believed that that's how he'll do it. The insolvable problem of the world, whether it's terrorism, the, the Sunni-Shia conflict, what's happening with our oil and our gas prices, it can all be drilled back to when you follow the trail, not only to the Middle East, not only to Israel, but to Jerusalem, and then to that little piece of land, the Temple Mount. It all drills back to that and a guy comes on the scene and solves that problem, the world will listen. But it says that this guy is gonna come, he's gonna conquer using peace. And that is, at the end of the day, that politics thing that we uh, know and love so much. <sighs> is your hope in a politician this morning? Oh dear God, I hope not. Like I don't know how many gray hairs I'm gonna have to get and I've got a few. I got a haircut this morning. Uh, thank you, Carol Weaver. I was, <laughs> we were joking about it, that I was, it's like locks of love, but for televangelists. So I'm, I'm, it's a very finite area of need, but I'm, I cut all my hair off so I could give, I was, it was a little too wavy. But on the political side of things, if, if you have put your hope in the politicians, I mean, some of you can remember back to the election when it was, hey, let's get this guy that's, he's sort of an outsider. In fact, he's Catholic, which is hugely controversial. But he's not one of us. He's the cool guy, he's throwing football with the kids on the coast, and he's the charismatic guy, and he's gonna save our country. And he's into the office, and of course we know how it ends, but then we find out later that he was sleeping with a mob boss's wife. There was corruption going on inside of this administration. This charismatic guy that was coming to save the day ends up dead, but there was a, it was a mess left behind inside the White House. And we looked to him for hope and thought, you know, I guess what we really need then is the guy that, and you might remember, I wish I had the picture of him, but you know, when he's pulling up the Basset Hound uh, by the ears, uh, LBJ, he's a Texas guy. He's gonna come in, he's gonna save the day. Real man from the South. And of course, Vietnam happens and it's so disgraceful that he doesn't, you know, he doesn't even run for a second term. He's, he wasn't the great hope that we, he did some good things, but he wasn't the great hope that we thought we needed. And you fast forward and you know what we really need is a Republican because that'll fix things. And so, so we get us a Republican. Not one of our shining moments, but you know, and we see how that ends. He comes in, it's, you know, he's law in order. He's the tough guy. He's gonna deal with this stuff. It's Nixon. And we look at it in hindsight and think, what were we smoking? <laughs> this guy? This is, because to this day, the tapes continue to come out. The foul language, the paranoia. He's come in and to save the day and it didn't work because the hope was in him. And man, well, what we really need then is a guy from the South because that's, 
this clearly didn't work with the dude from, look at Jimmy, he farms peanuts, he's from Georgia. My dad hated Jimmy Carter. I don't even know why, but he did. I think he's made a great ex-president. But you, and I'm actually old enough to kind of remember this, sitting, him sitting in his chair in front of a fireplace, the cardigan on, Mr. Rogers style, where he begins to scold the nation. You need to drive 55 miles an hour. It ticked Sammy Hagar off so much that he sold like millions of records. And obviously it didn't work. The malaise that fell over the country, he ends up not winning his second term because what we really needed is a guy from out west, a dude that has a personality, a winner that is the stud. And we went for Ronnie. And you... (laughs) 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 Who arguably... One of the better, obviously, more favored presidents in our history. But Ronnie, when he was done with office, the Iran-Contra affair unfolding and the arms for hostages and things that were going on behind the scenes because Ronnie, as, as great as he was, was a man. He was a human. And politics wasn't going to be the solution for us with him. And so we think, well, okay, that kind of stinks. So, you know, I mean, we, the, the list goes on, right? We think we'd get us, you know, W, W-H, George W-H, H-W, Herbert Walker, I'm getting it backwards. He's going to lift our spirits, he's going to new heights, and he did, didn't he? 92%, you remember this? 92% approval rating at one point. Highest in history, going into that goal four. He went into the election, 92% approval rating, an election that he couldn't lose. And it ended with an election that he couldn't win. Because what was going on behind the scenes, and I wonder, I don't, I'm just, this would just be me postulating, but George wasn't exactly a friend of what was going on in Israel. He was one of the guys shutting down a lot of the stuff and, and threatening to withhold money and, and withholding money. And, and I wonder sometimes if that was God saying, yeah, that was a nice try. I, I don't know that. But what we do know is that he steps down and it went 92% to like less than that and he ends up getting beat by Billy. The guy from Arkansas, and blue dresses, and highway patrolman. Later, Bill has to go home. And of course, he's out there still, but he was gonna be the guy to bring hope, and he was the guy that would bring this new thing to the world, and then the people were cheering, and and it didn't work out as well, because within a few years, we uh, end up with W. And a lot of what George encountered in his first weeks and months in office, it's forgotten, was started because of the Clinton years. And W was handed a pretty bad deck. It was within a year that we get people crashing into our buildings and it turns out that, well, we knew about all this stuff going on ahead of time, but nobody did anything. We, we basically just poked the dragon in the butt. We sent a couple of missiles into Somalia and we'll be, we're gonna be done with it. And so W gets handed this. But he's the guy, if you remember, man, you were a Christian, he was all over the place, the great hope, the great future of all this, and boy, he spent like a rich kid. The, the budget, we, it's, we can say what happened to others, but the budget went out of control. He, he was the, he's a Republican that put in place policies, like a Medicare policy that is completely unfunded and to this day is killing our system. He's a good guy, he loves the Lord. Russ Rankin was saying they're moving to Texas and he and Angela were uh, walking down the street uh, in Waco and 
and look at the corner, and there's W sitting in his pickup. Like, just W. Not, not his handlers, and, but just W. Because he's a good guy, but he's not our hope because he's a human. And when our hope goes into humans and politics, we end up in anti, in place of Christ, putting our hope there. And we see what happened, of course, we're in the middle of right now, the, the great new hope, a guy that came in, and whatever you think about his politics, whatever you have to acknowledge that what he said he was gonna do, for the most part, he has not done. To the chagrin of his own party, to the chagrin of those in his party, he hasn't closed down Guantanamo. All these things that he said he would do, an open government, we're gonna have an open and transparent government, as long as you define open by off the record meetings with reporters and behind closed doors, and oh, and I want your password. Other than that, it's perfectly open. I guess what he meant by open government was we would be more open. <laughs> what I'm driving at is that if, if, if I can't figure this out by now, and you kids, if you, if you do yourselves a favor and figure this out, if your hope is in a politician, history is, on, is not on your side. If your hope is in a great nation forming and maintaining, you know, I love this idea that history tells us that the stock market uh, does 12% a year. And No, history doesn't tell us that. What history tells us is that great nations rise and great nations fall. A hundred years tells us what the stock market does. History tells us that our hope better not be in our political leaders. It has to be in Jesus. And he said that he would open the second one. So this first one speaks of, 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 of the politics of what is to come. And the second one speaks of what happens when politics are in play, and that is war. James would say in chapter four, what is it that causes you to war against each other? Isn't it your lusts and you wanting this and your power? And, and politics is the kind of job you get into, and you gotta keep the job by maintaining power, and wars unfold. Do you look at history? War is the rule, not the exception. Through our country, throughout history, because once you're in power, you have to maintain power. And war is a natural outcry of that. And it says they opened the second seal. And the creature said, another horse, bright red, its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth. So he comes in, he's gonna bring peace. That's how I'm doing it. But oh, but except for the part that I need to control. And before long, the rights are taken away, the war is on because I have to control this. Any good dictator throughout history, whether it's Robert Mugabe, <laughs> Hugo Chavez, they all, almost all of them start with actually even Hitler with a good idea in mind. They wanted to bring back national pride, patriotism, but then it becomes about the control, about the eugenics, about I've got, and war is what happens. And gang, war is hell. I've never been to war. I was just talking this week with a, with a young man in our body that has experienced it and what it does to people beyond the scope of getting home. That's why we're excited to bring Samuel Brown to the Connect event. Now, meanwhile, our political leaders are over there, you know, shaking hands in China like we didn't go to war with them in the 50s. There's an article this week about how China has continued to blackball us on letting us know what happened to our prisoners of war. We left men behind in North Korea, in China, that were alive. And now we're like, oh, we're just kidding about that. I mean, I thought we were serious. When we, we were told, this is serious, Hanoi Jane, but now she's gonna be a, a multimillionaire, but I thought that the war was serious. But afterwards, it's the soldiers that are paying the price. 
And war is hell. And I'm so thankful for our soldiers that, that continue to put their lives on the line, that, that risk their families for it. But war is not the, ab, it's not the goal. It's a result of a fallen world that we live in. Don't let the parades and the patriotism disguise the reality of what it is, which is a symptom of our fallen world. And thankful for guys like Kyle, who's with us today. I don't know if Chris Kirby is here, but guys, many of you that have fought in these wars, I'm so thankful for you and pray for you to find the healing because you've seen things that you ought not to have seen and been places that no one should ever have to go because of the fallen world. But it starts with politics and it goes to war. That's what's coming. This man, this great man of, of coming on the scene with politics to win over the world. War will come because of it. Again, that's the future. It's the right now. And what happens whenever war? Man, the black horse, its rider had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard in the midst of verse 6, the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarters of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. That is a day's wages saying that uh, hyperinflation, it's a, something that has happened in multiple places, whether it's Venezuela, Zimbabwe, Germany, it could happen in our own economy. Just, I can't even barely afford to eat. I'm working all day just for the food for today. But look what it says though, interestingly enough, but don't harm the oil and the wine. Because what happens in war is really fascinating. The people that are at the top, the power brokers, have you seen Gaddafi's properties? Do you see what happened with Saddam and all those palaces? Do you see what happens with our political leaders? Don't harm the oil and the wine. See, war is good business. You can make a bunch of money and become very prosperous if you are in the upper echelon and maintain. So don't harm the oil and the wine, but for the rest of the world, it's what happens Again, in these countries, what's happening in Syria right now, I promise you that Assad might be scared out of his mind, but he's going home to his golden line bathtub, turning on his jets and having the eunuchs come in and fan him with the things, because he's, he's not hurting, he's not missed a meal, but his people in Syria on the ground are starving. David and I were talking this morning that 100,000 people so far in Syria that have died in this war, this conflict, but Assad, he's fine. Don't harm the oil and the wine, and it speaks of of a famine that will come where things become scarce, food becomes scarce, hyperinflation setting in into the future. And it says then that the fourth seal said, come and behold a pale horse. Pale, by the way, speaks of not just like a white horse, like a pale, but almost like a, I'm gonna use this color, like a, like a diarrhea green almost, <laughs> for lack of a better word for you kids, so you know what that is. Um, it speaks of that kind of a green, like a whitey green, gang green horse, okay? This is a nasty horse. And its rider is death. And it says that they were given authority over a fourth of the earth, I'm oh, sorry, we get rid of that green, to kill with the sword in famine and pestilence and by wild beasts of the earth, a quarter of the earth. And I've really been chewing on that for a couple of little bit. And you know what's interesting to me? Is that word when it talks about wild beasts, is a word in the original Greek that could either speak of like dinosaur sized, it's like of any size kind of creature, innumerable creatures, and it could be translated like dino size or microscopic size. And listen, when you think about it, what is it that is killing many of the people in our world? 
but viruses and bacteria at the microscopic level, those are creatures. They're, it's not like I have a, the runny nose is a symptom of what's going on, which is my body in a battle to fight the beasts. And what happens in war and in famine? What happened in Haiti when there's famine there? Cholera breaks out. People die by the thousands, by the hundreds of thousands, by the millions. And it makes perfect sense that that is a natural, again, when you think back to you, this is not God opening up a can. This is the natural progression of what happens in our lives when we let sin follow in. This is the earth itself. The future that it has is famine and disease. And he says that the next one is the martyrs. And we don't have much time to go into something like this, but understand this, that the martyrs, the saints, that's a natural progression when, when sin is unchecked in a society. Have you listened to him talk about Christians on television lately? Have you heard Piers Morgan talk about Christians? He thinks you are an idiot. He speaks dismissively of you. Wouldn't it be better if these guys weren't even here? I mean, that's just such an old way of thinking. And you can see the progression of how it can happen in a society where Christians become marginalized. And in our country, I hate to even call it persecution because what's happening in places like Iran and Iraq and Pakistan, that is a real live persecution. But at the same time, I don't want to downplay what's happening here, which is a marginalization, which is putting us over to the side where our voice doesn't matter anymore or to get us to shut up because I, they think I'm crazy. And if I say that, then they're gonna really make fun of me and we shut up and we don't say anything, the martyrs. And it says that these martyrs, these are the martyrs that are gonna be saved during the great tribulation period. These are the ones, these Christians that are, that were gone and they're saying, man, I, 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 that made sense what they were saying and they begin to follow Christ. It's why it's better not to wait. <laughs> this is to follow Jesus. But it says that the martyrs and then the last one, the sixth one, and we'll get into the seventh one next week, is destruction. It's the earth unleashing its power. And whether or not global warming is caused by man or not, I don't know. But we do know that the temperatures are changing. We do know weather patterns are changing. We know that earthquakes, I mean, I was in Haiti. I saw it firsthand when a quarter of a million people lost their lives. The earth is changing. And the future holds for us, for this earth, a contraction. The result of man and our sin this is a future. Now the great news, if you're sitting here today, you're like, Darren, this scares the out of me. Don't be, because Jesus is coming. He's coming for you, he's coming for me, for those that are his own. This is the result, it's almost like in that scene in the Lord of the Rings where you didn't seek war, but war has sought you. So we could put our heads in the sand and pretend this isn't happening or gonna happen, or we can put our heads out and say, no, no, I'm going on the offense so that when Jesus returns, if it happens to be in my lifetime, I am found occupying on the offense so that when he shows up, his air, uh, air support for my ground war, that I'm in the middle of it. That's what I want, that's what I hope you want as well. What I don't want is to be around for this. Be that as it may. As I chewed on this last night and I prayed through it and think, well, what does this mean for us today? Antichrist, that this guy that's coming, this great political leader that's gonna come, talk people into following him. He seems like it's great, everything's happening. What does that mean for me? 
And when I started chewing on the idea, Antichrist in the original Greek doesn't just mean against, it means in place of Jesus. So I could put politics in place of Jesus and I could be sorely disappointed. But in my life and in your life, what is the thing that you or I am, were putting in place of Jesus today and what is the result of that in our life? Antichrist in place of Christ, think with me. Fear. It's something in our lives that we can put in place of Christ. Fear is the kind of thing that in a relationship causes me to, okay, I don't wanna take any risks here in my marriage because so, I don't want you know rock the boat or, or maybe it's in your job and I don't want to take this risk so I'm just going to play it safe today and fear robs you of what God might have for you but listen to this when you do that the fear provides a service for you which is it comforts you for the moment because I feel better about that because I didn't take the risk that maybe the Lord was asking me to take I didn't take the risk for this relationship that I knew I needed to take because I was afraid and so fear jumps on the throne and comforts me, but what is the Holy Spirit's job in my life is to be my comforter. And I've put fear on the throne and not Jesus. Anti-Christ, in place of Christ. Now, follow this logic with me. Because when I do that and I put anything on the throne, including and not limited, I'm just gonna use fear as an example because it's something I've struggled with, the fear of man. What are you gonna think about me? I just wanna be liked. I, that fear that, that I put on the throne can comfort me for the moment, but in the long term, it makes a terrible, terrible master. And the natural progression of it, think of it in just the terms of, and I'm just gonna give you a, a, a metaphor, an allegorical marriage. And again, this might not be your antichrist. This not not be your in place of Christ. So let the Lord speak to you but imagine the young couple, let's just say for the purposes of Nora Ephron, when Harry met Sally. And Harry and Sally get married. And in those early days, it's kind of a political thing because it's awesome. We're on fire for each other. But I don't want her to know me too much because if, well, I was dating her and I was kind of putting on the show who I am but I don't want her to really know me because then if she realizes what she really got, she's gonna be ticked. So the political thing in me is I'm gonna just keep on keeping on being this guy. Harry's gonna be the guy. And on the wife's side, she's thinking, well, I don't wanna rock the boat. I, I, you know, I, I, th that really disappointed me, but I'm not gonna say anything because I don't wanna rock the boat because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of what'll happen, so fear begins to rob and begins to hold them in. And the next thing that happens in that progression of a marriage is the war starts. Now, it may not be World War III, but do you remember the Cold War? Remember that one? Harry comes home because Harry thinks, man, the first thing I gotta do, I'm a young couple, and you young couples, listen up. You young men, you, you think, oh, I'm, I'm afraid, so I gotta go to work. I gotta work hard, I gotta dominate, I gotta put in all these hours because I gotta provide for my family because I'm afraid that the rent won't get paid. I'm afraid of what not providing will be. I'm afraid what my friends will think because I'm the only guy that's still a waiter and he's the guy climbing the corporate chain. And fear drives you to the point and all she wanted to do was just for you to love her. 
But fear is locking it in and the Cold War starts. And before long in this relationship, you're blowing along, Harry's doing his deal and Sally's at home and Sally can't get his attention and Sally does what, what some of you do, what probably most of you do. She went ballistic and it gets his attention. When a man sees a woman cry, you're thinking one thing, it's like a fire. I'm just trying to put it out. I'm patting on it, just like, stop, just quit. I don't know how to make it stop. But Sally learned something. When she's afraid, and what she's afraid of is she's losing everything she dreamed of. The man on the white horse turned out to be a tool. He has a bow, but there's no arrows in it. Fear is driving her, and she's freaking out, but she learned something. Hey, when I freak out, it gets Harry's attention. So this pattern continues. And before long, the famine sets in. The famine of intimacy. I'm not, we're not together as much anymore. Well, I'm tired. I'm afraid that, you know, like it's late. I don't want to wake her up because she's got to get up early. And she's afraid because, and the famine sets in and whatever happens in a famine is all of a sudden stuff becomes more and more expensive. And so that intimacy costs more. And so it actually is even further and further apart because it just feels like it's just too much. And the famine of your marriage be driven by fear because that's in place of Christ in your life. Drives into death. I don't really love him the way that I used to. I don't really feel like I, I feel like the love has died. I mean, that guy, the great white horse, where'd he go? And the relationship is dying in and then the death of the martyrs. When you're in those situations in your marriage, and maybe some of you are there today, I, I, I know that some of us are all, we're all on a marriage journey, aren't we, that we're married? Whether you're one year in or three months, I'll talk to somebody who's three months in. Shannon and I are 18 years in, almost 19. The dis death of the martyrs, you begin to isolate yourself. You're not at church as much as you used to be. You're not around the other believers because it's embarrassing. I see these other couples and how awesome they are, supposedly. So I'm not hanging out with them. My marriage is a mess. I don't want to talk about it. I isolate. And maybe I'm not killing those relationships quite literally, but figuratively, I'm killing the relationship because I don't want to talk about it. And then the destruction. Because your marriage has fallen apart. It's over. In a divorce, there is no such thing as a victimless divorce. There just isn't. The children suffer for the rest of their lives. You suffer. And it all started when a little thing called fear climbed up onto the throne and became your comforter and not Jesus. I would love it if the musicians would come with me uh, this morning. And I'd like you to do something with me today. Again, it may not be your marriage. That's just what the Lord is, honestly, the reason I bring that this morning, and I hope it's okay to share this vulnerably. You know, Shannon and I have been on some of this journey. We've not made it to the death of the martyrs destruction part, but we've sure made it into the famine part from time to time in our lives because of fear, because that's in place of Christ on our throne. What I would ask of you this morning, whether it's in your marriage, whether you're not married, whether you're young and you're single, what is it that's on the throne? I say fear because it's honestly one of the most common things in the world that we all struggle with. Maybe that's why Paul said to Timothy, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. 
Because fear is really just pride dressed up. Pride came with a costume on. Fear isn't something that we need to conquer. It's what we need to repent of because it's coming from pride. And whether if you're an arrogant, cocky guy or you're a really insecure, timid person, that's just two sides of the same coin. The arrogant, cocky thing is I'm overcompensating for the fear. I want you to love me. I want you to, I'm an achieving. I'm a dominate. So I'm afraid, so that's how I'm going to compensate for it. And the insecure part is you being the same thing. I'm just... Because I'm afraid of what he's going to say or she's going to think of me or what's going to happen. So I'm just, I don't, I'm not going to say anything. That's pride. And putting fear and pride on the throne instead of Jesus, Antichrist. This is the progression that you've got to look forward to in your life. And if you would stand up with me for just a moment. I, I'm aware of the time, but I'm also aware that I think Jesus wants to do some stuff in somebody's life. But I'd like you to think with me in your heart. Just close your eyes, not because that's spiritual, because I want you to focus. And I want you to think of what is it in your life, picture it, that is in place of Christ on the throne right now. Is it fear? Now think about the people around you. Think about your children. Think about your parents. Think about your boss. Think about your spouse, your husband or your wife. What are the results that that fear is bringing to them, that pride? Did you not say something that you meant to say because you were too embarrassed or you didn't want them to think bad of you? Did you not say something good and kind to them that you really wanted to say, but pride just held it back? What, what, what's happening in your life Get a picture of the person, not just the thing, but the person. Who is it that's being hurt the most? Is it your family? Is it your children? Imagine the moment when you knew that you were supposed to do something or say something and you didn't because of that, because of that fear, because it was in place of Christ on the throne. Imagine that and go, go there in your mind and, and see it and feel it. and sit in it for a minute. Husband, did you not encourage your wife like you should have? Wife, were you scared and did you kind of unload on him and then you regret some things that you said? For you single moms or divorced families, is it in your children? You can't hide in the, the, the regret of the past, but in your present right now, where is it? When you're in your life, what is it that you're not doing? That maybe even as a result of what happened in your divorce, but you're too scared to even take a risk now. What is that fear keeping you from doing? Is it keeping you from branching out to a new relationship? Is it keeping you from going towards a new job? a new place in your life because you're just too afraid? What is fear stealing from you? The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And he comes disguised on a white horse that says that he comes as an angel of light. But what is it that right now, what are the real life consequences of your fear? Parents, are you blowing your stack with your kids too much because you're afraid? 
you're afraid of what's happening to them and that you're losing control and, and so you lash out at them. Now do something with me. This is a little unusual, but I'm gonna ask you to trust me on this. Take yourself five years into the future. Get a picture of yourself. What do you look like? Who's standing next to you? How has fear done for you as a master? Are you staying awake at nights because you can't sleep? Is the love dead? Is the destruction already started? Go 10 years into the future. I'm 53 in 10 years. Get a picture of that. How is that working out for you? This antichrist that you've given a throne Now come back to the present with me. Imagine if you said those things that you should say today, that you loved in the way that you should love today, that you say to fear, screw you. Jesus is on my throne. What is Jesus asking you to do today? Now imagine you're saying those things, doing those things. Get that person back in your mind, your children, your spouse, your parents. Bring it to there. What, you took the risk today and maybe they rejected you, but Jesus was your comforter. Bring yourself to think about the benefit of how awesome your life would be if you would just tell fear to shut up and speak from your heart. That the God of all the universe says that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Not even of your own strength, but through Christ in you, the hope of glory, you can speak to your wife lovingly. You don't have to blow your stack at your kids. Imagine that a moment, the encounter that you regret and imagine now how you're doing it differently the apology that you can give to your children today, the apology to your wife, the I'm gonna do this differently, baby, it's you and I. Take yourself there, now take yourself five years into the future of living without fear on the throne and how your life is different. Different because you took those risks, because you were patient and you were kind and you were long suffering and, and your children and how well they're doing and, some of them will be graduating and you go 10 years in and now some of them are in college and getting married and, and you fathers have given your daughters a good foundation because you showed them the greatest gift you could have which is to love their mother. And your sons are strong and they know how to treat a woman because moms you were kind and you were gentle with them and you showed them how a woman should be treated. Take yourself 10 years into the future and how different and how much better that feels to kick fear off of the throne and put Jesus back on. And for you single moms, single dads, take yourself 10 years into the future and God, the God of redemption, the God of new starts, the God that can take the biggest screw up messes that you've got and turn them around for good. And because you let him because you didn't just sit around with your pile of crap and be pissed about it, but you said, Jesus, I'm giving it to you. 
Imagine how different your life looks in 10 years, how much better it is, your kids and yourselves, because you took Jesus off the throne, you put him back on the throne, you took fear off the throne, you took pride off the throne, you crucified it and gave Jesus his rightful place. Isn't that a better way to live? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning to show you where it is that you Shannon and I are, man, we are fighting for our marriage. We're in a great place. We've just, we're on a roller coaster like all of you. But in Chicago last week, it was a great chance for us to reconnect again and for us to overcome fear and take chances. I mean, God's good. And I love my wife more today than I did 18 years ago, and I didn't even think that was possible because my wife is amazing, but fear will blind me from that. Fear says, shut up, Darren, don't even talk about it. Just hold it back. But Jesus says, no, 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 run to the battle. Run headlong into what Jesus has for you. Take fear off the throne today. Get that in place of Christ and put Jesus back where he belongs. If you're teenagers, think of yourself in 10 years. You got the benefit of foresight. You young couples, the benefit of foresight, those things that you think this isn't that big of a deal. Let me tell you what, a rock in your shoe is not a big deal until it's been there about eight hours. And then it's all you can think about. That little thing in your marriage is not that big of a deal. I'll just get over it. 15 years later, it's a mess. Don't let it go there. You don't have to. Not if you take pride off the throne and put Jesus in its place. As we're gonna worship now, the song, just let the lyrics speak to you. But might I recommend that you go to the, the table. We have the elements of communion today. And maybe it's a chance to remember that Jesus, when his body was broken and his blood was spilled, that it paid for my sins to be forgiven. That the sin of pride is, is forgiven. That doesn't mean the consequences aren't there. Make no, uh, don't, don't uh, forget it, Paul would tell the Galatians, that God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, you will reap. You sow after the flesh, you will reap destruction. Forgiven forever in heaven. God doesn't even remember it anymore. But the, you have planted, you have sown seeds after destruction. Go today at the, the table maybe and dig up that harvest and throw it away. Start today. Let the Lord speak to you. Father, please forgive us for our anti-Christ, for our in-place-of-Christ sins. Forgive us for the, the times we didn't say what we should have said. Forgive us for the times we said what we shouldn't have said because of pride, because of fear. Lord, crucify that in us today and let us leave out of here today placing you on the throne and, and, and not this ridiculous pride and fear. However the future works out, that's all in your hands. What is in our hands today is the Antichrist. You, John said that the, the spirit of Antichrist, 1 John 4, is in the world already today. Let's not let that spirit of Antichrist rule in our hearts, Lord. Show us that area. Give us crystal clear picture of it and kill it in our hearts. We put you back on the throne. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.